0: Hey, we're turning over a new leaf this new year. This is our second or third, I think second, episode. We're hitting our stride, our groove, finally our, get our rhythm. Good to have you back. Good to see you again. Great to see you. Oh well, I, somebody told me over the course of this weekend, they said, what are you going to do in the Preacher and Policeman episode? I love the cop stories. I said, I know they're awesome. They're gold I've and had you,
1: a couple of people saying things recently, too. They've they've asked, hey, when are you doing another one? So I, I think they'll be pleased that we've made it. Yes, that's pride. right. <laughs> the
0: summer of 24, the next episode is coming your exactly. way. Exactly. They're only a year and a half apart now. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Welcome to our biannual episode of The Preacher
1: and the Policeman. How is it that we're doing episodes closer together now that we're
0: further apart? I, I don't apart. understand. There's I don't I, when we I lived in the
1: same county. We couldn't get yes. together. They were <laughs> alive.
0: <laughs> That's right. It's very true. <laughs> would you regale our listeners with another one of your cop stories? I
1: would love to do that. Um, one of the things that I had thought about when we brought up the topic last time, at the end of the last episode, we talked about this whole topic of science and things like that. And I thought, you know, not a lot of cop stories get real scientific. Let's face it. Right, (laughs) But (laughs) I I did think of something that I thought I think LJ can can use this as an illustration. And I got to set up a little backstory with it, because when I started at our department, my field training officer, the very first time he decides he's going to show me the trunk of the car and what's inside this Impala, to my surprise, is a tennis racket. And I'm really shocked. I said, a tennis racket really i kind of chuckled i said just in case a tennis game breaks out
0: (laughs) he says no they're for bats right okay Um, a a tennis racket for a bat like a like you trade a tennis racket for a bat like hey i I tell you what let me give you i'll give you a wilson for a louisville
1: wrong kind of bat the kind of bat with with wings that gets in people's houses oh That kind of bat, those pesky, yes. Yes, the pesky kind, not the Louisville slugger kind. Now, our department actually responded to bat calls, and I I guess I missed that part of the academy where they said, you might have (laughs) to get a bat out of someone's house, but it's a real thing, especially in a community with a lot of older homes, I guess. So he proceeds to tell me, yeah, if you hit a bat with this tennis racket, it's going to stun it, knock it out, you scoop it up, you get it out of the person's house, you're done, real easy call. It makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah. And I see
0: literally batting practice. That's (laughs) that's for all your dad jokes out there. (laughs) We don't have these
1: calls all the time, but you know, when we do get them, it turns out this is a really handy tool to have as silly as it looks. When you open a police car, it looks exactly if you've never seen inside a trunk of a police car, it's exactly what you imagine tools of the trade, all the things that you need to fight crime, rescue people, make your job easier, make lives better, and then there's a tennis racket.
0: And a tennis racket, that's because right. I feel system. like that's one of those. Which of these does not belong on Sesame Street?
1: Right, right. First aid kit, pry that's bars, right. <laughs> <laughs> next to the fire extinguisher, a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> next to the fire extinguisher. Right, right. So over the course of a few years, I get pretty good at it, and I've got my own process of how I do this, because you can really just stun them, scoop them up, get them out. So one night on night shift, it's a super busy night, and we are just call to call, every officer just hopping. As we're getting these calls, of course, we have to prioritize, but we get not one but two back calls in the midst of all the other calls. I get one, and my friend gets one, and we don't even have time to talk to each other because we're on opposite ends of town. We maybe pass each other here and there, but we are just really call to call. Finally, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, we get to meet up because this is the time we're going to decompress, kind of debrief a little bit informally. Just pull up mirror to mirror in our cruisers and just say, All right, how was your night? So I pulled up and we start talking about the calls and he says, oh, how was your back call? I said, oh, really easy. I said, went in, knocked it off the curtain, scooped it up in a bag, took it to the park. He said, you took it to the park? I said, yeah, you are know, not to play with it or anything on the slides. I took you to the park to release <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, he said, you, my, come
0: down, you come down next. I'll catch you at the bottom.
1: For being so good and so compliant, he got to take to right. the park. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I said, I, I don't mind bats. Bats don't bother me. I don't want rabies like anybody else. I said, but I usually take them outside. The one thing I don't like at all are mosquitoes. And, you know, they eat a lot of mosquitoes. So that's just oh, something like yeah. the park to eat mosquitoes, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: So he says, not me. And he, of course, you got to understand, you had a picture of this person who is a seasoned veteran officer. You can call him grizzled if you want, but that might be a little <laughs> too extreme. But, you know, he's the seasoned veteran police officer. Not me, man. Not me. He said, I kill him every time. I don't want anything to do with bats. I don't want rabies. And, and I get that in his defense. You don't want rabies. You don't want to be turned into a vampire or anything else that you might think. When it comes <laughs> to bats. That's, right. That's right. The two options two options. Right. So he says, I hit that thing, fell on the floor. I hit it again. I'm not taking any chances. I don't want all those shots. I don't have to go to the hospital. I don't want the person in the house to end up getting hurt. He said, I crushed that thing, man. Don't mess around with it. Oh, okay. Well, if that's your thing, you know, that, that's what you do. It's different than me, but okay. Right. So we talked another minute or so. And I said, by the way, where, where do you Where do you put them after you squash them like this? He's like, well, I haven't thrown this one out yet. It's still in the brown paper bag in the backseat. I said, oh, okay. I said, I I get rid of mine right away because they're still alive. They're just unconscious. Minute or two goes by and all of a sudden in the quiet hours, probably four o'clock in the morning in a downtown, all we hear is the rustling of a bag. Oh my, oh my. And if you could have seen the look on his face, I can't even describe it because all of a sudden it was a light bulb that doesn't go off. It just blows up and he realizes I've made a huge mistake. He doesn't say anything in one swift motion. He throws the car into drive and says, got to go. And he's gone. I'm assuming he went to a park or somewhere on a country road. And very carefully got out of the car. I wish I would have followed so I could have oh, seen. Oh, yes.
0: Them.
1: I would have watched from a distance in the safety of my car, but.
0: With your tennis there. racket firmly in hand. <laughs> Even inside the car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just in case bats can go through glass. You
1: never know. You never know. If it's one of those vampire bats, let's not take any chances. I just imagine him opening this door and having to so carefully and so quickly try to get this thing coaxed out of his car. Oh my word. And I never let him forget that.
0: (laughs) No, no, that's, that's, that's being a good friend.
1: So when I saw him a little bit later, I said, really crushed it, huh? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So So, how did he respond or was he just leave you alone? You know, he's such a good sport. If you've listened for a while to our podcast He's the same officer with the alligator story. And in fact, it was about yeah, the same guys, look. Yes, this was the kind of guy. It must have been something with animals, calls with animals. Yeah, you
0: guys was, are like animal control.
1: Exactly. This guy was uh, just, I, I've said before on the last podcast, when we talked about that situation, just a naturally funny kind of person. Yes, um, some, I don't think he was even trying to be, but when he would have these serious moments and his responses, even in a serious situation, (laughs) they were still so funny. (laughs) God made him. So that's that's right. And that's what came to mind after we talked the last time when we started talking, hey, let's maybe do something a little
0: bit on the issue of science and those types of things. If you were with us last episode, we talked about, can we really believe the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? And now we're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to ask, what about science? Does science contradict the Bible? Science is based on observation. So this FTO and fellow officer observed that the bat was dead, but the bat was not. And then he observed himself. You observed him driving away to an undisclosed location, possibly a cemetery, to get rid of the bat and bury and it with its kind. When science observes what science observes and the Bible observes what the Bible observes, Do they observe two different things? Or is it possible that science and the Bible are not enemies, but actually very close friends? Now we have to put the Bible in the ring with science and ask, can both of them get along? Well, let's try to answer that. Good question. Right after this. Hey, good day to you. Welcome back. You're listening to The Preacher and the Policeman. My name is LJ. I'm the preacher. And my
1: name's Andy. I'm the policeman. And
0: we'll be back right after this. you're just joining us, we're answering the question, can science and the Bible get along? Can we all just get along? Does science contradict the Bible? You have, namely, the the greatest scientific, let's say, foe to the Bible is the theory of evolution. The Bible, of course, teaches creation, that God created it all, designed it infinite in wisdom. And so you see design and order and beauty and complexity, even in simplicity, you see all of that in creation. Or Is everything just a result of random chaos and chance, like science would argue? And there are some people in our world who want, the science, want science and the Bible to fight. They, they bill it as this prize fight. The Bible versus science. It's faith versus the facts, what we believe versus what we know. And some claim the Bible is full of matters of faith, and yet science is full of matters of fact. But here's a fact. The Bible is filled with facts and faith and this blow up like the light bulb on that dark and stormy night but science is full of facts and faith there are innumerable facts about science things we know laws principles data stuff we could observe verify experiment repeat all that process that's that whole scientific process and there are also a number of matters of faith about science things that we cannot know but we believe nobody except god was alive who can tell us how the universe began because we'll never be able to observe the birth of the universe again. That's not observable. It's not verifiable. It's not experiment or subject to experimentation. It's certainly you can't repeat an origin. So by definition, is it science or is it faith? Richard Dawkins, he was a world-renowned atheist, and in 1998, he claimed only seven percent of American scientists in the National Academy of Science believe in a personal God. Now, Officer Burns, that surprises me, because scientists look all the time at beauty and design and order and intricacy and complexity. How how do you reconcile that? How how do you reconcile physicians, for example? who can who work with the human body every day and see 60,000 miles of blood vessels flowing through the body, where it needs to go, pumping where it needs to pump, and yet say that, whew, we hit it lucky on this one.
1: <laughs> what are the chances? Right. You know, I, <laughs> well, for me, I think it comes down to worldviews, Preacher. I think that you've got two opposing worldviews. You've got The people you and i for example who believe god is a creator we believe his word is literal that he created the world and that all creation testifies that he is a creator we see his design his handiwork his fingerprints on everything including ourselves for the person with that other world view to me it's a greater leap of faith for them because they're saying like you said well, it's just that we got lucky that all of these right. things came together. That Our our incredible complex central nervous system works the way it does. That right. The cosmos works the way it does. That everything fits perfect into this Goldilocks planet and that all the conditions are perfect for life. And are we so lucky? To me, that takes an awful lot more faith. And I don't really have a problem with saying, well, I believe God's the creator. And here's this thing we see observed in science, that kind of confirms that that scripture is telling the truth. So I don't really have those problems reconciling that because of the way I I see it personally. But for somebody who doesn't have that biblical worldview, I think they've got a stronger argument to make personally. And starting with what you said earlier, those things that need to be observable but simply cannot be, in this case, creation, uh, the start of the world, however you want to title it, It's always going to be a theory, and it's always going to take faith. So you are a person of faith, whether you are an atheist, an agnostic, or a Bible-believing Christian.
0: (laughs) Totally agree. Now, the Bible, we understand the Bible is not a scientific textbook, but neither is it a history textbook or a geography textbook. But it's filled with science, it's filled with history, it's filled with geography. So if you're taking notes, I want you to take these scientific—if you're driving, don't take notes, just mental notes. But there are— some scientific discoveries in the Bible that science caught up with long after the Bible had recorded them. Here's the first one, Psalm 19, verse six, its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Now that is referring to the sun. The sun is in orbit. And for years, the scientists, they laughed, they scoffed, they mocked at this passage before we ever sent up the first rocket or the first telescope science laughed at this in fact even the muslim holy book the quran writes that the sun sets in a muddy spring at the water of water at the end of the day but now we have technology and telescopes and satellites and we can actually observe with our own eyes that oh okay so the sun does orbit the center of our galaxy the psalmist declared it science confirmed it now let's stay in space isaiah 40 verse 22 god sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. (laughs) Well, if you've ever been in a plane at 30,000 feet, you know that's true. (laughs) He spreads out the heavens like a curtain makes his tent from them. And then Job 26 reads, he drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. That word circles is accurately translated sphere. Christopher Columbus, he came up with this idea, or so he thought, That, hey, I I think the earth is round. I don't think it's flat. I don't think I'm going to fall off into oblivion if I go a little bit too far. But before that, science scholars, they thought the earth was flat. Some even thought it was triangular. Never understand that. (laughs) But around 1500 BC, Job hinted in his book at the circular shape of the earth. And then around 700 BC, Isaiah writes, our God sits above the circle of the earth. Yeah. So you have this scientific truth, in fact, and the Bible is not trying to make a scientific point. It's just saying what's true, just stating what's fact that science eventually caught up with. And now, to be fair, two verses in the Bible, Isaiah 11 and Revelation 7, talk about God gathering people from the four corners of the earth, and that word is is translated quarters or quadrants. So it doesn't have to mean like corners, like a like a blanket. Yeah. You can make four quarters northwest, northeast, southwest, southeast of a sphere. So there's no no issue there when it comes to science and the fact that the Earth is round. And I know there are some out there who say, heresy, the Earth is flat, flat as a piece of paper. <laughs> like a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> like a pancake, that's right. Just it doesn't taste quite as delicious. Right, right. There, there's a... a-
1: a growing movement like that but but i think you're speaking to to the point of that it's certainly not a triangle and as it how could up, it be a I,
0: triangle i do never understood that, that one
1: that's that is really perplexing uh, i'd like to see maybe some ancient drawings like what the conceptualization of that was like is there anything out there i could probably find that sounds i'm,
0: guess, <laughs> I'm guessing the egyptians were like hey we got cool pyramids let's say the earth is a pyramid Oh yeah, I'm sure they were like dead set on they're like triangle. It's it's a triangle all day long, guys. Here. Totally triangle. Totally triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That's right. I think we've I think we've made our case here of triangle. <laughs> the end. <laughs> now here's one. If they thought this was silly, they're gonna really think this one is silly. The earth hangs on nothing. No, there's no way that could be. I mean, it has to sit on something, right? Everything sits on something. And yet, Job 26 verse seven. Job writes, he stretched out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Hmm. So you're telling me then that the earth is just suspended? There's no string that holds it up or no table that it it sits on? Isaac Newton discovered gravity in 1687. People had their different ideas on how the earth sits before he came up with the idea and the law of gravity. The Hindus taught the earth rested on the back of—this is amazing to me—on the back of elephants— who stood on the back of a turtle swimming in a cosmic endless sea. I feel for the turtle. I'm like, man, bro, get, get these elephants off me. But the elephants are like, get this earth off me. So that's, that, you got you to gotta feel for the turtle. You have the illustration of the Greek god Atlas, who carries the earth on his shoulders. It's got to hang on something. It's got to sit on something. It has to be suspended by something. But Job wrote in Job 26, God hangs the earth on nothing. And of course, we've been up in outer space. We've looked around. We're like, oh well, look what we found. <laughs> the Earth is literally just in orbit in space, hanging on nothing, because God created it in that way. That beauty, that intricacy, and then He sustains it. This one surprised me. We know we look up at the stars and we say, well, you can't count them. Even if you could count them, you can't count them because you're not going. You're going to count one of them twice. Like, Oops, wait, I think did I? No. I got the real shiny one, but I didn't get the the not real shiny one beside the real shiny one. But the scripture teaches us in Jeremiah and then also in Genesis that you cannot count the stars. And yet science thought you could count them. Hipparchus, he lived between 190 and 120 BC. He said, mm, I counted them. They're 1,026. He counted them. He counted them. He counted. I, I really want to see that chart. Like if he just looks up and how does he know? Somebody's got to be beside him. You, you know, like when you're counting money i us say 20, 40. 60. Somebody comes up there, two, three, nine, six, eight, seven. <laughs> Stop it. This is a guy with way
1: too much time on his hands,
0: by the way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Mrs. Aparchus is like, I tell you to take the trash out. And what are you doing? 1,022, 1,022. Or she was really wise. He was in her hair and she said, Go out
1: and count the stars or something, would you? That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> he, he, he,
0: he's just standing <laughs> there. What? Ptolemy comes along 200 years later, and he counted 1,056 stars. So 30 stars were born during that time. Kepler, he comes along in the 16th century, and he counts 1,006 stars. So we've had 50 stars who have gone on to be with Jesus. But Galileo pointed his telescope toward the heavens, and he he just shook his head and said, there's no way we can count them. Mm. He discovered in 1608 AD, what Jeremiah wrote 2,000 years earlier, as the stars of the sky cannot be counted. And the sand of the seashore cannot be measured and now scientists estimate there are over 300 sextillion stars and they're probably still wrong and they're still that's, right. <laughs> that's that's on the low end the that low is end. three trillion times a hundred billion you're wow. gonna need a bigger calculator i don't even think a ti-85 is going to count that high my goodness now let me ask you this without asking google or siri Do you know or do our listeners know who Ignaz Semmelweis was and what he was famous for? I would definitely remember that name if I'd heard it before. I do not know that name. (laughs) Ignaz Semmelweis, that's not common. Is it common spelling? Maybe that would help me. That's right. (laughs) It's probably actually Semmelweis. I think he was in Europe. So he was. to
1: spell that for everyone
0: he talked. to. That's that's (laughs) right. What's your name? Uh, My name is Jeffrey. Yours? Ignaz (laughs) (laughs) Semmelweis. just Just call me yeah that's right well he was a doctor in 1846 and he was puzzled there were two clinics for experiment or i'm sorry for expectant mothers to give birth the one was run by midwives the other one was run by doctors the midwives it was kind of like competition the the mortality rate for the first one with the midwives was 36 for every 1000 births 36 mothers died after giving birth for every 1,000 mothers who gave birth. That's about 4%. I mean, that's obviously that's tragic, but that that's low compared to the doctors. The The death rate in the second clinic was 98 for every 1,000 births. Now that's hovering around 10%. That's high, much higher than the midwives. <laughs> and you know, the midwives are like, and they get the big bucks? Right. But one report even says it was as high as 30%. But we're going to stick with the 10. One out of every 10 mothers will not make it Now, that's severe. And Dr. Semmelweis, he wanted to know why. So he studied. And in the midwife's clinic, mothers were giving birth on their sides and the doctor's clinics, mothers were giving birth on their back. And so Dr. Semmelweis said, that's the problem. To the side we go. No change. So then he noticed in the clinic when somebody died, a priest would walk through and he would ring a bell in the clinic to signal that somebody had just died. But, I mean, in our hospital in Mount Vernon, they played Brahms lullaby when a baby was born. I, I prefer that better than the bell with the priest. <laughs> so Dr. Simmelweis thought maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's some kind of a, an emotional deal. So the priest and the bell, you're scaring the mothers, leave and don't come back. But no more priest, no more bell, and yet no change. So he's back to square one. He's still three times as many mothers dying in his clinic as there were in the midwife. So what is the issue? And he couldn't figure it out. He took a leave of absence. He was going to try to figure it out, take a little sabbatical perhaps. And one of his close friends died at the clinic performing an autopsy on a woman. He pricked his finger while performing the autopsy, and he died of the same disease the woman died of that he had autopsied, and he figured it out. And the doctor's clinic, the doctors went straight from an autopsy to delivery and never washed their hands. Wow. The wow. the midwives weren't doing the autopsies, of course. They're just they're just delivering the babies, but they weren't washing their hands either because they didn't know about germs. So Dr. Semmelweis came back. He said, "No, everybody has to wash their hands, wash the the medical instruments, wash the tools." And when they did, they cut the mortality rate to 2% from 10 to 2 because they washed their hands 1846, the 19th century. Wow. Here's what's amazing. Around 1500 BC, God gave some science to Moses. And when we read Leviticus, we usually yawn and we try to speed through it. But Dr. Simmelweis could have saved thousands of mothers' lives had he just read Leviticus. Leviticus 15, verse 13. He who has a discharge is clean of his discharge. Then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing. Wash his clothes, bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. God gave this law to Israel coming out of Egypt, because God knew about germs. He knew about invisible pathogens. So he told the Israelites, hey, guys, wash your hands, bathe in running water, cleanse yourself from disease. I didn't realize this until studying, but as late as 100 years ago, some doctors were still washing their hands in a bowl of water. So they got the wash your hands part right. (laughs) They missed the part about stuff stays in the water if if you don't run it for a little while. So when you have all these things that are coming together, it's amazing how much science is in the Bible. Yeah, and yet science and the Bible—they don't have to contradict each other. They're not against one another. They actually complement one another, and science continually confirms the Bible. There's we, time fails us, but the Scripture speaks about in Levit—in rather, I'm sorry, Le, yeah, Leviticus 13 about quarantine. If somebody's unclean has a sore, I mean, there's like, like a festering boil. They have to quarantine for 40 days. There's evidence now, science even kicking and screaming, but they admit that the universe had a beginning, and they realize that logical end tends toward creation, but they cannot deny the mounting evidence that there was a time the universe was not, and now, of course, the universe is. So you have all these things, the law of kinds and all of these different areas where the Bible continually establishes. That, that the science, the God who created science continually shows us and introduces us to these scientific facts and laws, and then science comes along later and says, okay, all right, so we'll give you that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just continually reaffirms. We don't necessarily have to look at the Bible as needing to be validated. Right. I think that sometimes we make mistakes. And when you look at things, if any of our listeners are familiar with the gap theory, for example, Mm -hmm. I see this as a way that somebody said, you know what? Okay, we've got these discoveries being made in the world of paleontology. How do we make the Bible fit now? I don't think we have to make the Bible fit. I think what happens is the Bible, being the unchanging word of God, inspired by God, I believe that as we look at it, you and I, we just see these things in science as saying, oh, yeah, that just proves what the Bible said all along. Just as you're saying. Great story, by the way, with the washing of the hands. I love that. Yeah. What a great illustration. But I don't think we have to always worry that, oh, no, we've got this thing in science. We're going to have to find out if if the Bible holds up to it. Does the Bible live up to that? Does the, right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I sure do. I sure do. Point. Man, great story. I forget if it was. I think it might have be C.S. Lewis. I can't remember, but somebody asked him the question at one time. They said something like, well, are you going to defend the Bible? And he asked, do you defend a lion? <laughs> I don't need to defend the Bible, but all we have to do is keep pointing to Scripture and say it was here all along, all yeah. along before science ever discovered it. The Bible had, had already established it, and science came along and discovered it, which gives me faith that science will not come up with a discovery or evidence that disproves what we know to be true from what we read in the Word of God. That's a great way to look at it, LJ,
1: because I've got to share this story with you real quick. Um, I had a visit last night. We had over for dinner. My great-nephew visiting spring break from college, he comes by, and as we talked, he shared a story when he was in high school talking to his Christian friends, and he just wanted to know, how do you know? How do you know that jesus is the only way how do you know that other religions aren't right and that's a different topic i think we've covered before but the point is this is that his friends couldn't answer him and he was very discouraged by this they could only say well just it's just that way it's just the way it's just the way it is i think what you're saying when you talk about your knees don't knock because you're not worried about these things as a christian you're able to tell somebody, explain to somebody if they ask those questions. I think I'm like you. I welcome those kind of questions. I get excited. With yeah, somebody. me too. For one thing, I believe because God created us, God wants us to do critical thinking. So Absolutely. That doesn't bother me. I love when people think critically. And so for somebody to ask a question, I'm prepared for that. So you're prepared for, per- I'm sorry, you're prepared for that? Or preferred I know, right? Preferred, prepared? <laughs> you prefer
0: to be My prepared. My preferred preparation.
1: <laughs> so you welcome those kind of things, so for a christian and i and I do understand there's people listening that are saying, "What's it matter? Is it going to make a difference in me going to heaven if I believe young earth versus old earth if I believe this versus that?" To me, the bigger question is, are you able to help someone else who comes to you and as a Christian, are Absolutely. you prepared?" to answer those questions. The stories you give go above and beyond because there's such great illustrations that we can connect to in maybe not so modern times, but in more recent times. As a Christian, are you able to answer those tough questions? People wanna know, and it's, I don't think it's always somebody trying to trip up the question. The, the,
0: the, the, the question, those wascally rabbits. Christian with a question. <laughs> <laughs> That's not easy to say, a Christian with a question. Let's question the Christian with a questioning Christian. Our special guest today, Elmer Fudd.
1: <laughs> it's good to be on the broadcast. So my
0: question to you, Christian. Yes, is, Now we just went into Pilgrim's Progress. Right, yes. What is it, law enforcer?
1: Right. How important is it for that believer? I get it. Salvation issues and and things Mm -hmm. like that are a different topic altogether, but for the person, and there are Christians out there, good Christians who disagree on things like young earth versus older. Dr. Hugh Ross is an old earth believer. I personally have done a lot of research and only can conclude time and time again that The Bible is taken literally, and it's a much younger model for the earth and for creation. That's just me personally. It's not going to keep me out of heaven or Hugh Ross out of heaven. So it's not necessarily a salvation issue. But I think there's two things we can take from that. One is, for me, and I think for you too, when we see these things in Scripture, it strengthens our faith. Absolutely. For believers that... Who that maybe say, I don't really want to get into all that. It's just too heavy. I would encourage people who are kind of on the fence about things as, as a believer, explore it a little bit because you're going to find out that these things really encourage you. The story you just told about the doctors and the, and the birthing, that really gave me some great encouragement. What a great illustration. But for Christians who just say, this is how I believe. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it's always been. You just got to trust me. I would really encourage you to at least prepare yourself for those questions, because it could be a matter of you, how your evangelism succeeds, the missions that you're doing right here at home, how you witness this to other people, because people really do hunger after knowledge because God did create us with those critical minds.
0: Absolutely. First Peter says, we should be ready at all times to give an answer the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. So I think for two reasons, we need to know these kinds of things. One, so people can't shake our own faith. And so if somebody came to you and said, well, you know, the Bible says that the earth is flat. Really? Yeah. Four corners of the earth. Oh, no. And they also said birds aren't real, but that's another discussion. (laughs) That's a whole different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But if you know that that word literally means quadrants or quarters, you're not your faith isn't shaken. And secondly, it is. Intended for us to help people build their faith. Because they've been taught so long, so much that the Bible and the science, they don't get along. They're enemies, they're, they're foes, they'll always fight they've always been fighting their siblings who just will never get along. But that's not true at all. Science is continually saying, Good job, Bible. Because the God who who inspired the Bible is the same one who authored science. So when he authored scripture, he threw science in there, history and their geography in there and all of that, just because It's there he's not trying to prove science he's just trying to let us know that i did this you're welcome (laughs) so yeah i hope hopefully this will help build up somebody's faith and help others build up others faith when they have questions like these which leads us beautifully into our next episode are miracles really real if we've learned today that science doesn't contradict the bible and yet, miracles transcend science. Is wow. it possible that there are times when God will transcend the laws He instituted of science to work a miracle which science cannot explain or even duplicate? But it has to be a sovereign act of a supernatural God.
1: That's going to be a great topic.
0: That's going to be fun. fun. You know, what would
1: be really fun ahead of that if people who are listening to this have a personal story that they can relate. People want to know about these supernatural experiences and right. they've had some themselves. Wouldn't it be cool if a few people just got in touch with us and said, hey, absolutely happened
0: to me with a miracle. Well, you can get a hold of us a few ways. We're on Facebook, Vernon Chaplains, V-E-R-N-O-N Chaplains. Or you can email us at vernonchaplains at gmail.com. We'd like to hear your stories. We'd like to hear the miracles God has worked in your life or in somebody you know. So reach out to us, either Facebook or email vernonchaplains or vernonchaplains at gmail.com. That's all we've got today. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to build our faith as we continue to see over and over again that what the Word of God says, mean it means, and it's true We can trust it. It will not fail us. And the God who authored us, authored it, will walk with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what we've learned. Thank you, God, for how you have established all these laws for our benefit. You have established life. God, you have given us this earth for us, for our benefit. And we are thankful. Ask you today to build our faith. Help us not to allow our faith to be shaken by anything or by anyone. Help us to put our faith in the forever settled, never failing, God-inspired word. I pray Jesus help us also not only to allow our faith to stand, but help us to increase others' faith. Help us to minister to others and share the gospel with them in such a way that it will increase and bolster their faith. I pray you would do that. Work miracles, Lord, to show us that you are not only able, but also willing to work in our lives. And we will always give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it for us today. Until next time, when we do ask the question and answer it, are miracles really real? I'm LJ. I'm the preacher. And I'm Andy. I'm the policeman. So be blessed.
1: And be safe.